Welcome back to Pro Revenge, where revenge is the best medicine. Not a doctor. Our first story is by Neither Glove 4355. Brother ruined my wedding by proposing, so I ruined his proposal. Story by Neither Glove 4355. I, 35 male, have a young brother Todd, 29 male, who had a complicated birth and had to stay a month in the ICU and because of that my parents have always doted on him and almost denied him nothing, even if it was to the detriment of my sister Abby, 32 female, and I. My brother drinks in on the attention and has on more than one occasion made himself the center of attention at either my, my sister's, or a cousin's special event. Because of this Abby and I have a strained relationship with Todd and our parents. Unfortunately, Todd met and fell in love with Lucy, 24 female, who announced her own pregnancy at the baby shower my mom held for Abby. When I proposed to my wife Michelle, 30 female, I just wanted to elope but she really wanted her family to be there so I invited my family out of obligation. While out my best man Jim, 35 male, noticed a receipt from a jewelry store slipped out of Todd's pocket. Jim confronted Todd about this which led to an argument. Jim told me everything and I told Todd that he was no longer going to be a groomsman because I knew he was going to propose at my wedding. Todd cried to our parents and which led to a blowout. In my parents' eyes, since Todd never admitted that he was going to propose to Lucy at my wedding I was unfairly judging him. I refused and brought up Todd's past behavior. My parents couldn't refute this and got Todd to agree to not try anything at my wedding. This wasn't enough to convince me to let him be a groomsman but I warned him that if, as a guest, he'd try anything I would make him regret it. Fast forward to the wedding and surprise surprise Todd walked over to Lucy and proposed to her during Michelle's father-daughter dance and did it in a way so that everyone would notice. Cue my revenge, Jim and I had hired a woman to pretend to be Todd's side piece who cornered Todd and Lucy and claimed that she was pregnant with his baby. Todd denied this but when she called his phone, I gave her his number and messed with Todd's phone to incriminate him, it didn't look good. Lucy threw the ring back at Todd and left in tears. When Todd saw the smile on my face he knew that it was me and I didn't respond to a single call slash text from him or my parents until after the honeymoon. Lucy has thrown Todd's stuff out and has been denying access to their kid. Todd is furious and is demanding that I clear his name. I sent him a text saying that I had no idea what he was talking about as well as a screenshot of a bill for the wedding and gave a vague message demanding reimbursement for half of the wedding costs. Michelle knew the whole time what I was planning and gave me the green light after Todd ruined her moment with her dad, so I felt pretty good but now even Abby thinks I went too far. Our next story is by Reaper0221. It is a really bad idea to make a government employee angry. Story by Reaper0221. This one is a double government employee event, and what you should know is if you get the attention of a government employee and make them angry they will make your life a living hell. The setup is that I was working for a local county government in the permitting department that handled drainage and floodplain enforcement. I received a complaint from a homeowner, nice guy, who lived next door to a house that was part of an incorporated village, not a nice guy. The nice guy lived in an unincorporated portion of the county and hence the call to me as an agent of the county. I drove out to the site to investigate and discovered some interesting facts. The permitting agent for the village allowed the incorporated homeowner to fill his lot affecting the drainage which caused the unincorporated lot to flood every time there was anything more than light rain. 
The nice guy indicated that there was some tension between him and not nice guy and part of the issue was that the nice guy and his partner were a gay couple. This ran up a red flag for me but in trying to be impartial I took the information and some photos for the file and indicated that I would contact the village to find a resolution. I wrote a letter and then called the village inspector, Jackwagon, to discuss. I was told by the Jackwagon that the village could do as it pleased and that I could do nothing to stop a not nice guy from doing as they pleased as it was approved by the village. There was then a comment about those types of people, the gay couple, making complaints just to cause trouble. I was now on the case and it was time to make sure everything done on the incorporated lot was 100% legal. At this point, the game certainly was now on because if there is one thing that grinds my gears it is bullying. I went back out and spoke to a nice guy to let them know what I was up to and also that I was not going to let this slide. I then started investigating the elevations on the two lots and what fill had been placed on the incorporated lot. The not nice guy came out and started getting belligerent about my presence and ongoing investigation. He incorrectly stated that I did not have jurisdiction over his lot and that he would be calling the police. I patiently listened and then pulled out my two-way radio and requested that the home base dispatch both a village and a county police unit to the location. I then indicated that since there was a regulatory floodplain on his lot I did in fact have jurisdiction and that I would be exercising my right to determine the impact of his fill activities upon that floodplain. Both of the police units showed up and I let them know what was going on. They were both appropriately agitated to have to waste their time and let the not nice guy know that I was within my authority to proceed with the investigation. A little while later, while I was measuring things, Jackwagon showed up. He started berating me about harassing the village resident and threatening to call my boss and file a complaint and so forth. I invited him to do so quoting which parts of the code he should indicate I was violating. I was using marking paint to show the limits of the floodplain for the photos for the file and what do you know Jackwagon she got painted when he tried to stop me. Obviously, he was even angrier as was the homeowner due to the very bright orange paint in the grass in his yard. I pointed out I had done the same on the neighboring lots but they just kept complaining. It was actually marking chalk that comes off pretty easily. Interestingly, I found two really wrong things on the not nice guy's lot. One, there was fill placed in the floodplain. And, two, a garden shed was built on the fill and partially within the floodplain. Both are a big no-no and are actually against federal law. So, the course of action had two parts. One, make the incorporated homeowner remove the fill and shed from the floodplain and, two, let nice guy place fill in their lot outside of the floodplain to counteract the fill remaining in not nice guy's lot outside of the floodplain. I also told the nice guy it would be a good idea to run a field tile on their side to drain the water that would inevitably pond up between the two lots when it rained. Predictably, not nice guy, and the jackwagon got super angry when I sent the letter out that there were violations that either had to be corrected, remove fill and shed, or apply for a revision of the floodplain with the Army Corps of Engineers, good luck with that. This then led to a meeting at the county office with the not nice guy, jackwagon, my supervisor, and myself. Quickly things went to 11 and there was yelling by the jackwagon about the abuse of power, etc. The department head came into the conference room and told them both they were wrong and that they should leave peacefully and comply or face the consequences, fines. The best part was that not nice guy had to apply for a permit and guess who was the one to review and approve it, that's right yours truly. Now, I was following the letter of the law but you have to know that poor government workers are underpaid and overworked.
Strangely the permit for the nice guy was almost immediately approved while the not nice guy had to have a very thorough review to ensure it was correct. You could make a case I was abusing my power but I can assure you that the timing for their review was well within acceptable limits. Also, how could I be held to account that they misfiled three times before they finally got it right? Generally, if you behaved like a civil human and came to the office we would help you get things done properly so the permit would go through the first time but not nice guy decided he could do it all in his own so it took him three tries. Had he come to the office I would have given him the same service as others but he decided to take the hard route and therefore I didn't give a single inch when it came to the submission being perfectly correct. Ultimately, the situation was resolved but it took a lot more effort than it should have. Moral of the story, don't be an entitled homophobic asshole. Hell hath no fury like me scorned. Story by MNWNM Hell hath no fury like me scorned. This story starts 31 years ago, but the revenge part was pure serendipity that began two years ago. I'm going to shorten some parts because it's a crazy ride. I learned a fuck ton on this journey, and part of the reason for this write-up is to share that with others. The Beginning In 1990 when I was just out of middle school and my sister was still in elementary, my dad met his third wife at the only gas station in our town. They soon moved in together, and my dad abandoned us in our basement apartment to live on a shanty houseboat, that didn't run, to live with her. He would show up every other week and give me $40 for groceries. Eventually, someone figured out the situation and called my mom. We went to live with her which was, believe it or not, worse. My dad and his shanty wife got married in 1991. Not long after, she called me and told me my dad's brain tumor had returned, it hadn't, and that he couldn't handle the stress of being around us. That the only people he could bear to be around were her, and her son, Shorty, who was my age. When I called my dad to ask if this was true, he said it wasn't, and he just couldn't believe that she would say that, to begin with. That was one of our last conversations until two years ago. The middle. There's not much in this part. I worked my way through college, living in my car from time to time. My dad and I were no contact, but I heard from family that he bought a house and put his son through some vocational classes. When my grandmother died, Shorty and Shanty wife showed up in a truck and took all the furniture and anything else that wasn't tied down or already gone. Eventually, I went no contact with my dad's side of the family. I struggled for years, decades really, but I made it. And I have a great job and a good family now. The best revenge is living well, right? The pre-end warm-up. Two years ago, October 2019, I got a call from my dad's brother, Alan. He told me my dad was in a nursing home in another state, great, and I needed to go see him because he needed my help, WTF? Shorty had ghosted him, ah ha ha ha. The nursing home, coincidentally, was about 20 minutes from my house. And I saw an opportunity and I went. The reunion was underwhelming. I didn't want to make amends, but I did want to hear how he wound up dumped and all alone in another state. And it was a really, really good story. Shanti's wife got lung cancer and put my dad in a nursing home before she died in 2017. She suffered, and I was happy to hear it but sad it wasn't as cancer. Shorty became his power of attorney, POA, when she died, and had been visiting my dad, living in my dad's house with his two children and taking care of my dad's affairs since his mom died. 
But now he was MIA, and my dad was worried about him. He asked me to drive an hour and a half to his house to check on everything. That's all he wanted. He never even asked me how I had been. I agreed to go, I think out of morbid curiosity. I'd never even been to my dad's house. I did want to see where he lived with his real family for 30 years. I wanted to see what could have been my life. It was 50 shades of fucking awful. The grass hadn't been cut all summer. You couldn't get to the front door of the overgrowth. There were three pickup trucks in the yard, two were full of trash. Cabs and beds and back seats are just trash. Mail, clothes, paper, shoes, garbage bags. I couldn't understand it. My dad's handicapped modified SUV was on four flats and full of garbage, too. I didn't have a key, so I just walked around. From what windows I could look through, the inside was in shambles and hoarded to hell. On the front and carport doors were dozens of notices from the city that they were going to condemn the place. The carport was also hoarded. Boxes and boxes stacked on each other, most rotting from the rain. The yard was full of garbage. Broken Christmas ornaments, more shoes, rusted tools, and old toys. There was a letter in the mailbox notifying him that since the house was abandoned, mail would not be delivered anymore. That night, I googled powers of attorney and how to use them. I went back the next day and showed my, bedbound, dad the pictures on my phone. He vowed to beat Shorty's ass, and then asked me to help more. I told him I would, but he'd have to sign power of attorney over to me. All of it is durable, financial, and medical. If he didn't, he could figure this shit out by himself. He agreed, so I set about finding a lawyer who would drive to another state and do the paperwork in the nursing home. Bless that lawyer for being so good at his job, because all I did was tell him what I knew, and he put together a beautifully bulletproof POA. It was full of stuff I didn't even know I would need. He also filed the paperwork to revoke Shorty's POA. And now I'm unstoppable. We're from a small, rural town and it's the kind of creepy, landlocked place that, no matter how long you've been gone or how far away you've been, when you go back, you'll see someone you know. Even if you don't know you know them. It's like playing seven degrees of everybody, all the time. It's suffocating. But it can also be helpful. The beginning of the end. I got to work the next morning. I didn't know how scorched the earth would be when I finished, and I didn't want Shorty or anyone from his prolific, inbred family trying to find me, so I made sure nothing I did had my name on it. I opened a Google account for my dad and got a Google number. I opened a P.O. box for him in his town. I put in a mail forwarding notice. I pulled his credit report. I took the POA to my dad's small town bank, changed the address on his accounts, and got new account numbers. I requested copies of every transaction back to the day Shanty's wife had died, about 13 months worth. I had to go to the main branch, two hours from my house, the next day to pick the records up. I sat in the lobby all afternoon, going through the account. I cornered a service rep and got a crash course in his debits and deposits. This is when I figured out the extent of Shorty's staggering stupidity. My dad got about $5,000 a month in disability and social security every month. Twice a week, Shorty was going into a branch and withdrew cash. All of the cash. For 13 months. And every time he did it, as the POA, he had to sign a form stating that he was acting on behalf of my dad, and that form was notarized by the bank. I went through every withdrawal and got the bank to confirm that every one of them was made by Shorty. Then I went to the house and called a locksmith. I knew it was bad, but I had no idea what was waiting for me there. 
he got the first door open, and the stench rolled out like a fog bank. We both gagged. Two locks later, I was so embarrassed by what he had to see and smell, I gave him a $60 tip. And, with shiny new keys in hand, I called the cops. I told them I was POA for my dad, was checking on his house, and there were three vehicles there that didn't belong to him. He asked me if I knew whom they belonged to. I said no, and I wanted them towed. He told me to call a tow company and he would meet them there. They showed up with two wreckers. The tow truck guy got out and asked me for a signature. I only signed my first name. As I was signing, he asked, do you know Shorty? Running on pure hatred at this point, I surprised myself. Do you? I asked. He said he did, and that he's an asshole. I responded, he might be. Hey, can you do me a favor? If you see him, will you tell him MNWNM is coming for him? His bravado evaporated. He knows a crazy bitch when he sees one. They towed the trucks. When everyone was gone, I opened the door to the carport to peek in. The sun was going down and it was dark in the house. I heard something faint, and after some seconds realized it was the roaches and the rats doing their roach and rat stuff. I could smell it all in my hair. I sat on the carport steps and watched the sun go down. I was mad. Just so fucking cosmically livid that 72 hours was all it took to dissolve three decades and here I was, stinking and listening to the rats and cleaning everyone else's shit up. Taking time away from my family, and for what? I had a coming to Jesus with myself, I could either bow out now or double down. And the thing is, I'm tenacious. To a goddamn fault. I had to be to survive, and this was a bone I couldn't put down. The thought of Shorty's life being upended, his only source of income, probably, disappearing literally overnight, and my dad having to hear, second hand from me, that he's broken alone, made me absolutely giddy. I desperately wanted them both to lose what they had left. So, I decided I was going to triple dog down. That night, I googled restraining orders. And it was surprisingly easy to get one. I went to the courthouse in my hometown, went to the clerk's office, and told her I needed a restraining order. I filled the form in at a rickety little table while I was there. I wasn't prepared to see a judge that day, but she took the form and said okay, I'll see if the judge is still here. That kind of scared me. She took me to his chambers, and as I was waiting, I looked around and saw he had certificates of appreciation hanging up from various veteran groups. Then I wiped my palms and thought, fish in a fucking barrel. He asked about my dad's stint in the Marines, and about the DOD office logo on my sweater, I'm a contractor. He read my form and granted the temporary order. I would have to go back for the permanent one, where Shorty would be able to argue against it. Then I went home and googled biohazard companies and elder abuse statutes in my state. I hired a biohazard company to shovel all shit out of the house for $7,000. I would have paid double. They found my dad's mummified dog under some pizza boxes in the master bedroom. They sent me pictures and salvaged some papers. Shorty was served during this time, and a hearing was set. I got to work collecting and documenting shit. I made pictures and spreadsheets and timelines with cross-references because fuck it, now they had my full attention. The paid versions of Truthfinder and Trello seriously got me through all this. In my spare time, I went to the nursing home and gave my dad 8 by 10 copies of the pictures of his dead dog. From every angle. Before court, I went to the police station nearby and told them I wanted to report an elder abuse crime. A white-collar detective came out and told me it was a domestic matter and that since Shorty had been POA, everything he had done was legal.
And this was the day I got to teach a small town detective about the fiduciary responsibilities of a POA. Thanks Google. I handed him a copy of the statute with the applicable sections highlighted. Then I handed him a thick folder with bank statements, pictures of the hoarded house and dead dog, a copy of my dad's credit report that showed he was tens and tens of thousands of dollars in debt, and a spreadsheet listing every cash withdrawal with a running total of the stolen amounts. The grand total was just over $130,000 in cash. That's not including the lost value of the house or the credit cards he opened and used. I told him he could keep that folder since it wasn't the only one I had. Then I told him I would wait for a case number, and I sat down. He came back about 30 minutes later and apologized, said I had a case, and gave me a case number. Then I headed over to the courthouse. This is the end. There were other people there and I had to wait my turn. And while I was waiting, that stupid motherfucker schlepped his sloppy ass into the courtroom, by himself and obviously, literally, non-metaphorically, dirty. His shoes were untied and that turned my giggle box over. Then it was our turn and we stood up. The, same, judge asked me some questions, asked him some questions, and asked me if I had any proof. I had a very thick folder of it. The judge asked me if I had gone to the police. Well yes, sir, I have. Do you have a case number? As a matter of fact. The order was granted, permanently and for life, but not before the judge halted proceedings and told Shorty he needed a lawyer. Someone told me that the courthouse would have a copy of my dad's DD-214, discharge papers, so while I was there, I got a copy of those, because why not? I also used my POA to take Shandy wife off the deed to the house. That way, if my dad died and it went into probate, Shorty had no immediate claim. I also went and got copies of my dad's birth certificate and Shandy wife's death certificate. Technically, stepchildren can't request that info. But the clerk who waited on me recognized my dad's name and told me she lost her virginity to my uncle Alan in the 60s and went to my grandparents' funeral. So I got all the forms I wanted. Shanty wife left my dad $50,000 in life insurance. About $35,000 of that was left since Shorty was spending my dad's money and not his mom's. So I opened an ally account and transferred every penny over. Then I set up recurring transfers for the monthly deposits. At any given time, there was no more than $100 in his account. I also found a house flipper that paid me enough for the house to pay off his mortgage. That's the thing about probate, there's nothing to fight over if there's nothing there. And I made sure there was fucking nothing there. My dad died thinking he still owned a house. Speaking of which, this is about the time I found my dad's life insurance policies. They were up to date, and Shanty's wife was the beneficiary. My POA didn't allow me to change beneficiaries, but it allowed me to assign them, and since Shanty wife was dead, there was technically no beneficiary. This is where the death certificates came in handy. I assigned my sister and me as beneficiaries. Irrevocable, too, means that the only way to change that is for my dad and me, and my sister to agree to it. I kept my dad in the dark about all this. The only thing he ever really knew about was the restraining order and his dead dog. I found out that he had purchased the gravesite next to Shanty wife and wanted to be buried next to her. That was just never going to fucking happen. I googled national cemeteries and found out he qualified to be in one since he was a disabled Vietnam era veteran. So I arranged for that, instead. All the cherries on top. My dad died in June this year and I was there. He's buried in a national cemetery far away where no one will ever go visit him. 
The only obituary I ran was on the funeral home's website and that was only for insurance purposes. I wrote it as vague as possible. There was no service. His urn is purple, the color he hated most. I got a call in August from the prosecutor's office in my hometown. The lady on the other end is married to my first cousin because of course she is, that's how it fucking works there. Shorty was arrested just after midnight on July 1st, was still in jail, and had been arraigned on felony elder abuse charges. He's facing 10 years in FMITA prison. She told me not to expect the trial anytime soon, as it can take up to 3 years for that to happen. I told her that was awesome since the uncertainty will hopefully haunt him. And after all that, he still got prison to look forward to. He lost his kids. He lost his dad. I'm spending his mom's cancer money. He lost his free house and trucks. He has no credit and will never be able to get any sort of decent job and will, hopefully for a long time, not be able to find a decent place to live. And I sleep like a fucking baby. Thank you again for tuning in for another pro revenge story, till the next episode, have a great day.